This morning, we began a little two-part sermon mini-series that we will conclude tonight, and the title of it is, it's a long title, <laughs> title of it is, Emmanuel, God with us, but not unless we seek to be and to stay with him. Not unless we seek to be and to stay with him. For those of you that were not able to be here this morning, if you'd like to hear the first part of this, it'll be posted on the website by tomorrow afternoon, hopefully. In this morning's message, just to bring everybody up to speed, we talked about how Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, or Emmanuel, God with us, came to be exactly that. He came to be God with you and me. God with us. This, this sinless God came to be with us, his sinful creation. And as I said this morning, to him it was worth giving up the glories of heaven for the horrors of the crucifixion. He came to be God with us, with all of those souls, with all of those lost souls who would believe in and want to be with him enough that they, like he, were willing to do whatever it takes. Jesus did that for us, right? That, that's what he did. He, whatever it takes. He went to the cross, right? It, it took coming to earth. It took coming in the flesh. That's what it took to be God with us. And he came for those lost souls who wanted to be with him enough that they too were willing, just like him, to do whatever it took to be with him. To, to do whatever it took to walk and to be and to stay close to and with him for life. John chapter 1, 11 through 13, as we spoke of this morning. And I want to add once again, because it's just that crucial. Going back to last Sunday morning sermon, I cannot overemphasize, especially to those of you that are under 18 years old, I cannot overemphasize to you how important these facts are that are presented today to your eternal life. We love you. We don't want you to wind up one of those folks that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20, who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And it's easy to receive it with joy when you grow up in a Christian household, but then later on have no root in themselves, but endure only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arise because of the word immediately, that person stumbles and we would do anything as adult Christians, as those who love you to see that that doesn't happen. And so please, tonight, hear the conclusion of this mini-series. The theme verse for the entire sermon mini-series today for both classes, both lessons, is 2 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 2, which most of you, if you were here this morning, you probably got memorized because you've heard it so many times. 2 Chronicles 15:2 says, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And this morning we saw this truth revealed in the life and the lineage of King Asa. We went all the way back to King David, his great-great-grandfather. All the way from King David before him up to and including King Josiah after him. That period that we covered this morning that was approximately 325 years. 
And again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You saw that same 2 Chronicles 15.2 truth come through in the lives of, of his lineage and of all these kings. But you know what? From 1 Chronicles 28 all the way up to 2 Chronicles 34, that 325-year period, do you know that this morning we didn't cover all the times where we see 2 Chronicles 15.2 come through? We didn't cover them all. There's a lot more in there that say the same exact thing over and over and over. And I just want to give you a quick recap of some of the others we didn't mention if you're ever wondering about this. You can follow along. I'm in 2 Chronicles 24 if you want to. We're just going to bring up a couple of things here. We're not going to spend a lot of time because, again, it would take a lot of time. More than we have. Tonight, in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 1 through 19 tell us about another king we didn't cover this morning, King Joash. And he started out, quote, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord as long as Jehoiada the priest was alive. That's what it tells us in 2 Chronicles 24 and verse 2. But guess what? As soon as Jehoiada the priest was dead, King Joash forsook God. Verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 24 says, Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, who stood, uh, stood above the temple and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. As long as Jehoiada the priest was alive, Joash did the right thing. But when Jehoiada died, Joash forsook God. So Jehoiada's son comes along later on and says, Hey, you have forsaken God, so he has forsaken you. In verses 21 and 2, we see that King Joash has Zechariah's son, uh, Zechariah the son of Jehoiada killed for telling him that. Has him killed for telling the truth from God. However, in the spring, God's word still came true. You know, it's one thing you see in the Bible, no matter how many of the messengers you kill, the word still does what, what it said it was going to do. And in verses 21 and 2, Sorry, verses 23 through 25, Joash was wounded, defeated, and destroyed. Verse 24 says, in fact, the army of the Syrians came with a small company of men, but the Lord delivered a very great army into their hand because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. We move to chapter 25. King Joash's son, Amaziah, is made king, and he followed the same path. He started out doing what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart, and, and that's kind of a key. He was, he was keeping the checklist, but his heart wasn't in it. He wasn't really devoted to God. He was just doing those things. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. 2 Chronicles 25 and verse 2. Because he did not do it with a loyal heart, we see that he too eventually turned away from following the Lord. Verse 27 was destroyed. So many good starts. How often do we see 
somebody learn the truth, become a child of God, and they start out doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, and they're blessed, and they continue to be faithful, young or old, middle-aged, doesn't matter, same pattern. Then they get to this point where they turn away from God. Here's the thing. Some people think when they stop coming to church and they, they, they stop walking with the Lord, that somehow when they walk away, they take him with them. That's not what Scripture says. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. In chapter 28 of 2 Chronicles, moving right along, we see King Ahaz, who did not, according to verse 1, of 2 Chronicles 28, did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. Truth is still truth and 2 Chronicles 15 still comes into play. This guy didn't do what was right in the sight of the Lord as David had done to begin with. Verses 5 and 6 then go on to tell us, therefore, the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men because, that, that's the key, it didn't just happen, God tells us why it happened, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. It is such a blessing. I, I didn't grow up walking with God. I didn't grow up in the church. It is such a blessing to walk with God. Amen, church? It is so much better than any other life on the planet. Sure, it has its struggles. We're all human. We're going to struggle. Satan is real. Yes, temptation is always going to be there. Difficult times will come. Time and chance happen to us all. Yes. But I can't imagine facing this life without God. I would never want to go back. And yet we look down through here and we see that people just up and forsook him and they were forsaken by him because that's his promise. Listen. If you get to the point where God's not welcome in your life, he'll leave. Finally, in chapter 29, we see King Hezekiah, who was a good king. King Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 2, says that he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. One of the things I love about Hezekiah Hezekiah, here's something that's missing so much from today's culture. Hezekiah was willing to take responsibility and tell it like it was. He was willing to take responsibility. He said in verses 5 and 6, or verse 6, he said that the reason for all the problems that the people had was they had forsaken the Lord. He was honest about it. But then... He went to work to see that even though they hadn't sought the Lord, and this is one of the beautiful things, you know, it's not just a one and done deal. It's not if we forsake the Lord that we never have a chance to come back. There, there are brethren, I believe, in most churches who at some point have forsaken the Lord, but they've come back and they found, just like the prodigal son, they found a father who loves them, who wants them so badly. Trouble is that some people forsake the Lord, get so comfortable out there in the pig fields that they never come back. But if they come back, God will take them back. We have an awesome God, an awesome God. But notice that after King Hezekiah in chapter 29 said that the reason they had all the problems in verse six was that they had forsaken the Lord. 
He went to work to see that they sought the Lord then, and he went to work to see that they sought and obeyed God's word with everything they had in the rest of chapter 29, 30, and 31. The last two verses of chapter, 20, uh, chapter 31, which read, Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God, and in every work that he began, every work, in the service and house of God, in the law and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart. See that? So what happened? So he prospered because he sought God with all his heart. Everything he did. Brethren, when we're leading a prayer on the Lord's table, when we're putting food in boxes, whatever we're doing in the house of the Lord, we need to do it with all our heart because God deserves the best we've got to give. You know, preachers don't just, hopefully, this one doesn't, <laughs> preachers don't just get up on Sunday mornings and say, eh, I'll wait till I get over there and see what comes to mind. Song leaders don't just walk in. Typically, if they know they got song leading a week ahead of time, typically... They don't just walk in and say, well, I'll get up there behind the pulpit and I'll see what comes to mind for songs and we'll do it. God deserves a little better. Now, sometimes we're caught a little short and those things happen. But that's not the regular. If you know you got it weeks in advance, that's why I like the list out here. We know. My point is this. They spend time in preparation for what they're going to give the Lord in worship service. Brethren, with all the love in my heart, if you're a man who, who's got prayer and you know you're assigned to say a prayer on Sunday morning, we should be as prepared when we get up here to speak to God we should have already thought about some of the things that we want to bring to God. We should be prepared. We should always do whatever we do in the house of God with all of our heart. Just like song leaders and preachers, those that lead prayers, we need to think about it. If we're praying around the table and we're assigned that duty, we need to think about what we're going to say in advance. We need to do it to seek God and to do all of our service in his house with all of our heart. And we will prosper. The point of bringing all of these to mind and all of the ones that we did this morning, again and again and again, in every one of these examples, we see the same universal truth over and over and over and over. The same universal truth, which I believe serves as one of the key theme verses for the entire book of 2 Chronicles. And certainly for today's two-lesson sermon mini-series, and that truth is this. 2 Chronicles 15.2 The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will... That seems to be, as we've read this, this vast amount of accounts throughout 2 Chronicles, that really seems to be the theme verse that the book is all about. And we see it expressed, this truth, in so many ways. Now... As promised this morning, we're going to talk about Hebrews 13. It is entirely possible, after hearing all of these examples, despite all of these examples, it is possible that some who maybe don't want to put in the time to daily seek God, to daily find God, to keep on seeking and keep on serving, might think, well or might try to justify their lack of effort by saying, well, you know what? 
I don't have to worry about God being with me. And here's the reason why. Because Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, promises that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And it says, never will I leave you nor forsake you. So I don't have to worry too much about all that Old Testament stuff about 2 Chronicles, about the Lord forsaking me if I forsake him. Hebrews 13, 5 says that God will never forsake me. Well, there's a couple things we need to know about that text. It's not a blanket statement that God will never leave nor forsake me no matter what I do, in spite of whether or not I continually seek him, in spite of whether or not I study and try to be close to him. It's not a one-size blanket, 100%, one-size-fits-all thing that God will never leave us nor forsake us no matter what. And I'm going to give you several reasons why. Reason number one. John 10 and verse 35. Jesus said in John 10, verse 35, Scripture cannot be broken. What does that mean? That means this. All Scripture agrees. There's no mistakes. There's no errors. There's no disagreements in Scripture. Scripture cannot be broken. This text over here cannot say that this text over here, which is different, is wrong. They can't contradict. Scripture cannot contradict itself is what Jesus means there in John 10, 35 when he says Scripture cannot be broken. One cannot contradict the other. So, so if Hebrews 13, 5 says that God will never forsake us no matter what, that contradicts all of the text we've already covered today. It contradicts them. They, they both can't be right. It can't be that God will never leave us nor forsake us under any circumstances, and yet over here there were circumstances in which he did when the people forsook him. That can't work. Second reason, Hebrews, 10, uh, Hebrews 13, 5, is not a blanket statement. The Old Testament was written for us so that we could learn to avoid the mistakes of God's Old Testament people. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12. We're supposed to study the Old Testament so we can find out what they did wrong and avoid it. That's what the New Testament, which we study, says in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12. But even stronger than that, number three, what's the book of Hebrews? Don't, don't answer it out loud. The book of Hebrews, in which we have that promise that God will never leave us nor forsake us, is an entire book from chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 13. Hebrews is the entire book. What's it about? Let's, let's, put, let's put chapter 13 and verse 5 where God will never leave us nor forsake us. Let's put that in the context of the entire book of Hebrews from beginning to end. What is the book of Hebrews all about? The book of Hebrews is an entire book which is dedicated to encouraging, warning, and admonishing Christians not to forsake God. Consider, the people that Hebrews was written to were on the verge of turning their backs on God. Read the entire book, it's so easy to see. They were people that were, number one, on the verge of drifting away, Hebrews 2 and verse 1, departing from God, Hebrews 3 and verse 12. They were a people that were falling away, Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. 
and a people who were on the verge of forsaking the assembling of themselves together in worship, Hebrews 10, 19 through 31. The entire book is written to that kind of people who were drifting and falling and, and, and getting ready to turn back on God. The entire book is written to them to do what? Persevere. Don't give up. Don't drift away. Don't walk away. Keep on going with God. Don't draw back and forsake God or else God would be left with no choice but to forsake them. That's the entire book of Hebrews. Well, there's contrast in here between the Old and New Testament, but again, those contrasts between the sacrifice we have and the sacrifice they had and all those things, again, was meant to encourage those Christians that were on the verge themselves of forsaking God not to do it because they had it so much better. So when you look at that, you have to put chapter 13 and verse 5 in that context. You have to. Hebrews 13, 5 is a promise that God will never leave nor forsake anyone in their trials. That's awesome. Thank you, God. He will never leave nor forsake anyone in their distresses. That's awesome. Thank you, God. He will never leave nor forsake anyone who's going through a hard time. Do we understand that? As long as they don't desert or forsake him. And that's how scripture agrees. Because again, the entire book of Hebrews is don't forsake God. He's not going to leave nor forsake you when you're in the middle of your struggle. Unless you forsake him first. Then you leave him no choice. That's Hebrews 13.5. Consider this about Hebrews 13.5. The quote, that God will never leave us nor forsake us is actually taken from two places in the Old Testament. One of them is Deuteronomy 31, verses 6 through 8. Consider this. <laughs> First one's Deuteronomy 31, 6 through 8, a book in which Moses has spent 30 chapters telling people they need to do what God told them to. 30 chapters! He has spent saying, don't forsake God, don't leave God, keep his commandments, teach your children, be faithful. Moses has gone on and on and on and on and on and on and on in Deuteronomy. 30 chapters worth of don't forsake God. And then when he gets to verses 6 through 8, he says, God won't forsake you. Well, he won't, as long as you don't forsake him. For if you seek him. You'll be, he'll be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So Hebrews 13.5 is not a 100% no matter what. That's like saying, that's like saying, okay, John 3.16. All I got to do is believe that's it. I don't want to hear anything else. Well, we know that's not true because there's other verses that need to be brought in, right? There's more to it than belief, right? Same thing here. God won't leave us or forsake us, but you can't stop there. There are other places in scripture that tell about, no, he won't unless we leave him first. So, Hebrews 13.5 actually just backs up 2 Chronicles 15.2. So here's the question. How can we tell then, he came to be God with us, Emmanuel. He's only with us when we're with him. How can we tell then whether or not 
we are truly with God? This is a big question. You know, somebody say, well, I go to church. Well, there's a lot of people who go to church. That don't mean their heart's in it. How can we tell whether or not God is with us? There's been a lot of people throughout history who fought, fought battles and died and shed their own blood in those battles thinking God was with them. There's been people flown planes into skyscrapers thinking God was with them. A lot of people think God is with But how can we tell for sure whether or not God is with us? Well, here's how. We're going to take a look at the scripture at a couple of people whom it says, and God was with him. We're going to see what a life looks like where God is with that person because God is with them when they are with him. And the scriptures tell us of several people where it says, and God was with him. Let's look at a couple of those places because God only promised to be with those who were with him, to be found by those who constantly sought him, and to stay with those who stayed with him. Okay. So, what does a life look like when somebody lives it in such a fashion that the scripture says, and God was with him? Let me give you the first example. Not once, not twice, but three times in scripture. Now I'll give you the references. Three times in scripture it says, specifically, that God was with Joseph. You want to see what a life looks like? A person that walks with God, hence God is with him, because when you are with God, God is with you. You want to see what that looks like? Joseph. Acts 7 and verse 9, Stephen said, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. Genesis 39 and verse 3, and his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hands, speaking of Joseph. Again in Genesis 39, verse 23, the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. How, how come the Lord was with Joseph? I'll tell you how come the Lord was with Joseph because Joseph was with the Lord. Say, well, how's that work? Here's how it works. Think of Joseph's life. This is what a life looks like, lived with God. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He had every right to be bitter and angry, but we look at him and we don't see him. Bitter and why me, Lord, and all of this stuff. Because he trusted God. He was with God in that sense, not literally, physically. And Joseph rises up under Potiphar and put in charge of his whole household, and you know the story as well as I do. When sin came knocking, Potiphar's wife, what did Joseph do? Joseph fled from sin. A life lived with God, where God is with that person because that person wants to be with God, obeys God. And when the opportunity comes up to sin and take advantage of somebody, they'll flee from it. That's what a life looks like lived with God. Joseph fled from it. And he gets in jail. And guess what? Chapter 39. The jailer saw that God was with him. Everything he did prospered. Why? Because Joseph loved and was going to obey, the, obey God no matter what. And later on, when Joseph had an opportunity to repay his brothers, to just pay it back in spades, what did he do? 
he wept. Broke his heart what they had done. That's a man after God's heart right there. The Bible says three times God was with him. God was with Joseph because Joseph was with God. He continually sought. He continually served. He continually lived for God, and God was therefore with him. Next man, at least five times in the scripture that I found, at least five, the scripture specifically states that God was with David. Here they are. 1 Samuel 18, 12. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Two verses later in 1 Samuel 18, 14. Says, and David behaved wisely in all his ways and the Lord was with him. There's a picture right there, just that one sentence. You want to see what a life looks like, lived with God, when God's with that person? He behaved wisely in all his ways. He did what God told him to do. 2 Samuel 5 and verse 10 is also repeated in 1 Chronicles 11.9. It says the same thing. It says this. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. Finally, 1 Chronicles 17.2, the prophet Nathan declared God was with David. Now listen. <laughs> we all know if you're going to hold up a picture of the perfect person, it's not going to be David. David wasn't perfect. David messed up bad. So... How does that work? How come God would be with David even when David messed up? Because we're all human. Our creator knows that we are but dust. He knows that we have all sinned. He knows that we're going to sin on occasion. David did. He messed up. But the beautiful thing about David, why was God with him? The beautiful thing about David, what his life looked like. When David messed up, he fessed up. When he messed up, it broke his heart. It absolutely, read Psalm 51. I'm not going there tonight, but read Psalm 51. Read about David just pouring out his soul before God because he knew he'd messed up. Listen, that's what a life looks like, lived with God. When we mess up, we throw ourselves on the grace of God because it breaks our heart too that we hurt him. That's what a life looks like, lived with God. And that's the kind of life that will cause God to be with us. David was the type, not only when he messed up, that it broke his heart and that he would pour himself out on the grace of God. And he would say, I did this, Lord. I did this. Not only that, but when David was wrong, if he did something the wrong way, remember the, remember the case of bringing the Ark of the Covenant with the new cart and two milk cows? Didn't work out so well. What did David do? David went and consulted what God's word said about how to move it, and he moves it right the next time. When David was shown to be wrong, he went to the word of God and said, that's the way I should have, that's the way I'm doing it this time. Can God be with a person like that, even though they make mistakes? I'll tell you what, God not only can be, God was. His name was David, five times. That's what a life looks like where God is with a person because that person wants to be with God. And I want to share with you another text. I know we haven't really turned to a lengthy text tonight, but I want to turn to the book of Psalms. Please open there. This is David. This is why God was with David. Because David was with God. David was with God in the sense of he was going to do it God's way no matter what. And I'll tell you what, God loves that. When a person says, I'm going to do it your way no matter the cost or the consequences, God, God is with that person. Psalm 101, 
Look what David says about his integrity, about his trying to do it God's way. He says, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. I will behave wisely. Remember where the scripture said David behaved wisely, 1 Samuel 18, 14. He says here in Psalm 101, 2, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. What does that mean? David says in verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. That's a life lived right there, that God can be with that person. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. Don't tell me people can't fall away. We had that discussion this morning. Let me add to it. David said, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling me. I am not going to be a part of that. I want nothing to do with that. Nothing. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. David said, if there's somebody around me and they've got a proud look and they just think they're better than anybody else and they've got this haughty, what we would see in the New Testament is the Pharisees. David said, I'm not putting up with it. They're not going to be around me. I will not endure them being around me. I'm not going to put up with it. Is that integrity? David was with God. So God was with him. My eyes shall be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell in my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. David said, I'll have no part of it. And God was with him. There are several others whom the scripture specifically says God was with. Let me just give you the names and references. You can look them up later. It's the same theme. Samuel. Bible says that the Lord was with Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.19. The Lord was with King Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18, 1-7. The Lord was with Phinehas, 1 Chronicles 9.20. As well as King Solomon and King Asa, as we saw this morning from 2 Chronicles 1.1 and 15.9. All of them lived lives, mistakes though they made, at least in some part of their life. Seeking God. And as they sought God, they found him. And as they continued to seek him, they continued to find him. And they continued to serve him. And they continued to prosper and be blessed. Until some of them forsook him and was forsaken by them. Turn to me in your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament before Matthew. Malachi 2, would you please? A similar message to what we've talked about in both lessons today. Malachi 2, verses 5 through 7. God here is talking about his covenant with Levi. We know it's his covenant with Levi because of Malachi 2 and verse 4, but look what he says with verse 5. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. A life that is lived with God. A life where God will be, verse 5, with that person is one that is lived reverentially. Do we reverence God? 
Do we tremble at his word? Or is he just God? He was with Levi. Levi was reverent before his name. He goes on in verse 6 of Malachi 2 to say, The law of truth was in his mouth. Injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. You want to know what a life looks like walked with God so that God walks with that person? Malachi 2, 5 through 7. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. Are we all priests? We're royal priesthood, right? Verse 7. Our lips should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from our mouths, for we're messengers from God as God's children. That is still true today. Do you know that the Bible even says that God was with Jesus. Now, I understand that God and Jesus are, I, I realize that you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I understand that. I understand that Jesus was God in the flesh. I, I get that, okay? But in a sort of different way, not necessarily reflecting that exactly, the Bible even says about Jesus in Acts 10 and verse 38 that God was with him. Remember when Peter was talking to Cornelius about Jesus and he says he went about doing all this stuff and God was with him? That's another place in the Bible where it says God was with somebody. He was with Jesus. Why, besides the fact that he was God in flesh, why was God with Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus' will was simply to do his Father's will. John 6, verses 30 and 38. Jesus lived not to do his own will, but to seek and to do the will of the Father, even, as we all know, to the point of death, even death on a cross. God was with Jesus, not only because they were both God, but he was with him because Jesus, no matter what it cost, would seek to do God's will. He never forsook God. God is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, you will find him, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew chapter 1, 22 and 23, where we began this morning. But as we also began, we saw in John 1, 11 and 12 that not everybody was willing to do whatever it took to be with him. So the question this evening is this. Please listen. Don't, don't just think, okay, close of the sermon and we can be about our business. Please listen. The question tonight, the reason we've read all these examples today, the question is this. Is God with you tonight? Is God truly with you according to the scriptures? That depends. Are you truly with him? depends on whether or not you sought and obeyed the truth by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to become his child. You know, to all of those who received him as the Christ, John 1, 
He gave the right to become children of God. And as we seek and we learn and we get into the Bible and we love God and we, we know that Jesus is the son of the living God and we get in there and we, we seek and God promises in the Sermon on the Mount that if we seek, we'll find. And as we seek how to become his child and it is shown us in the scriptures, Galatians 3, 26 and 7, we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all of us who have been baptized into Christ and put on Christ. That's where we become his children. And so, have you done that tonight? Because, listen, if your sins haven't been washed away, God can't be with you. He's holy. He's righteous. Your sins have got to be dealt with. Have your sins been dealt with? Is God truly with you? Depends also and finally on whether or not you are continuing to seek, to serve, and to submit to Him on a daily basis living a faithful and righteous life of love, service, honesty, integrity, humility, and forgiveness, no matter the cost or the consequences. Do you remember Acts 2? After they were baptized, after they were told to repent and be baptized, after they did that, and 3,000 souls, about 3,000 souls were added to them that day in verse 41. Do you remember verse 42? And they devoted themselves steadfastly. Remember that? Apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread, prayers, fellowship, not in that order. Remember that? They continued to seek God is what that's all about. And guess what? As they continued to seek him, they found him. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. First Chronicles 15, 2. Where are you tonight? Where's God? Are you together? Because if you're not, you need to move. You need to move down this center aisle. And you need to be baptized, if you've never done that, for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to ask for whatever it is that you need to do to live a more faithful life, to be with God so that God can be with you if he's not. Do it tonight. Because you may wind up on the way home having the same problem that they had in front of Brahms this morning, where there was a fatality. Nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. Are you continuing to seek? Come to the front if you need to as we stand.